Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 128, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. In today's episode, we have another special guest. Please welcome the wedding, commercial, headshot photographer, drone pilot, and by far the biggest brain in technology that I've ever met. Give it up for Mr. Tech for Talks himself, Peter Morgan. Peter, how are you? Hey, how you doing? All right, Kirsten, yeah. Uh, really good, actually. Uh, all things considered, uh, with, uh, you know, kind of everything that we're going into, uh, you know, with all the budget and everything that's happening, um, and the fact that I've got a, a cold, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're doing really well, actually. Lots of, yeah. um, you know, being able to help lots of photographers is always good. And the tech for TOG stuff uh, has certainly gotten better and better. And we've had a wider reach since uh, completing the second, uh, the photography show. The, the this we, we spoke at the photography show again this year. Um, yeah. And that was the second year for us, really, which was great. Yeah. Uh, so it just means uh, being helping to educate more photographers, really, you know. But, it, but it's interesting times at the moment. There's, uh, yeah. you know, um, Windows has got... Uh, Windows 11 updates coming out. You've got uh, Mac OS Ventura. There's lots of stuff that's going to be broken in the future. I've got a funny feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, of course, exactly what we're going to be talking about today uh, is, is a lot of technology-based uh, things. We're going to talk about um, how to back up your data. We're going to talk about what to do uh, in yeah. the event of a disaster, disaster recovery. And also, I want to have a chat with you about operating systems because, actually, I've I just had to uh, install Windows 10 on a 10 year old laptop so that was uh that was that was a task let's put it this way <laughs> but yeah. but of course i mean you're you're really known um as being your the the go-to tech guy uh, when it comes to any kind of i mean i say photography related yeah. technology issues um and the only reason i say that is because as photographers of course we you know we are intimately bound to technology because that's how we create our art and that's you know from starting from the camera uh, itself to of course you know the the computer and data storage and all the rest of it mm. i mean the camera itself is just a tool that photographers use to capture what we think about and what we see you know the way i look at technology is technology should empower us to be able to get what we want not yeah. hinder us and unfortunately, these days, uh, people can get technology overload uh, where they buy so much kit, uh, you know, it, it gets in the way of the vision rather than enhancing it. Um, and ultimately, my job uh, at work, you know, with the tech photog stuff that we're doing is not just to ensure that the kit that people have works, but also to make sure that they're using the right kit, you know, you, you can you can get too bogged down by using the wrong technology and it not working for you, or just just trying to get like you said before old technology, trying to get old technology to right. to work. And most people think that newer is always better. Oh, I gotta get a newer camera, gotta get a newer lens. You know, sometimes it is better to stick with what works and what you know especially yeah. in computer terms moving forward, you know? Yeah, that, and also it's, I think I always think it's it's a matter of, you know, what your need is, you know, that's that's the other thing. You know, I've found that 
you know, I, I mean, I've, you know, I've spoke to, I've spoken about this on this podcast many times, but you know, I used to, I used to D750 for the longest time until very recently. That's yeah. a really, that's a, what, a seven, eight year old camera? It's not yeah. necessarily, you know, but, but it absolutely delivered the goods for me and it absolutely worked. There was zero reason for me to upgrade. Yeah. Um, until I got to the point where I kind of thought, well, the, you know, the shutter count on this is now, because it's a DSLR, um, the shutter count on this was getting to the point where I was taking, I felt like I was taking risks. Yes. You know, yeah. and of course, the last thing you want is, you know, for things to break down when you're in the middle of a job. And that's, you know, so there's this little bit of sort of future proving yeah. um, involved in, in me deciding to upgrade. Um, but I mean, the same thing, the same thing can be said for, you know, computer technology and Brand. I'm still, I'm actually, as we're talking now, of course, I'm, I'm recording myself. Um, <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> sorry. I, I'm recording myself on a, on a separate uh, camera, but we are talking <laughs> virtually through uh, a 12 year old MacBook Pro right now. Yeah. And uh, still has a job. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, people know me as the Mac guy, but, you know, I've been doing computers since I was 16 years of age. I'm 48 now. So it's been a while. I had my own <laughs> IT company for years and most of the work that was completed was fixing like Windows machines, you know, and stuff that went wrong. Now the world runs on Windows in terms of business, but creatives, creatives will that, are, that I've come across will use Mac because there are fewer problems because, uh, uh, you know, you have, you have to reboot less because the workflow is more streamlined. Everything's a little bit more, you know, better looking. And, you know, app, that was always Apple's kind of forefront, really, wasn't it? It was kind of form and function right. going together. The reason that I still continue to use Mac, although we have Windows machines here for certain things, um, is that there are fewer problems. Just generally, there are fewer problems. But I tell you what, I mean, I was going to ask you about this because this is exactly my experience. Um, you know, I switched to Mac a good, I would say, 13, 14 years ago. And, you know, prior to that, I was I was continuously going through a laptop a year, a laptop a year and a half, something like that. Um, and then when I, when I switched to Mac, I literally ran this MacBook Pro for 10 years, you know, until, until I got to the point where, where uh, you know, it... it did really handle the, the latest operating systems too well. But I'm, I'm constantly in this conversation with my cousin, who's an IT expert over in, uh, in Germany, and he's he's really married into the Windows, <laughs> you know, uh, Windows system. Um, so when you look around you and you look at other creatives, it's very obvious that the vast majority of creatives prefer to use Macs. And, yeah. uh, and whoever you speak to, you know, will say, well, because they're more reliable and they don't break down as much. So wh why do you think that is? Uh, I, there's a couple of reasons. Um, Apple will design their product with the components that they know will work together in it. So you will know when you get a computer, PC users will complain, oh, but I can't put a different graphics card in it and I can't put a different hard drive in it and I can't do this and that. But that's the point, uh. is that all of the components that are in there have been tested and proven to work correctly together. The beauty of Windows is that you can add whatever graphics card you want or however much RAM you want, different types of hard drives, and Windows as an operating system should be able to cope with it 
by installing all these different drivers to make all these different parts that you've put together work. But with a Mac, somebody else is doing that for you, really. They're taking those decisions out of your hand so that you can just get on with what you were meant to be using the computer for. When I was using a Windows machine, I found that I spent more time cleaning the disk, running antivirus, doing updates than I did creating, right. which surely as creatives is the point behind this, you know? Uh, the point is that we are here to create, yeah. not let everything get in the way of creating. Yeah. You know, so that's the difference I see. You know, uh, there's always going to be things that a PC does better. Have you ever tried playing a game on a Mac? My son uses his PC for games. They're great for that. But, you know, very few people make games for, 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 um, for Macs. So, but they are a creator's tool, really. And you're never going to get uh, a Mac without any problems. They produce too many of these machines for there not to be an acceptable amount of failure rate, yeah. as it were. But overall, there's just, in my experience, there's fewer things that go wrong. Uh, so, um, you know, you were you know, you're right in the situation where you kind of move from, um, you know, as a creative, you move towards using a Mac yeah. uh, because you're spending less time on everything other than creating. Yeah, bizarrely, I also found that I've actually spent less money because I've, you know, I've, like I said, you know, I used this, when I, when I first bought this MacBook Pro, um, you know, 11, 12 years ago, whatever, it, it was quite pricey. It was more expensive than an equivalent, you know, PC laptop. But seeing that I used to, you know, change laptops, like I said, every year, maybe every two years or something, I actually, in the long run, I actually ended up saving money because I I never repla replaced this MacBook Pro for, for the longest time. So, you know, it was a it was a matter of you know peace of mind, and actually, my wallet was thanking me too in the end. Yeah, people replace PCs because they'll either fail, they'll they'll fail, or components within them will fail, yeah. or they'll just get too slow. People don't tend to replace Macs. I, my daughter has got my 2009 20-inch, uh, it's not even a 21-inch, it's a 20-inch uh, iMac that she uses for school. And it it's only working, the operating system is quite old now. It's working in, I think it's working on um, Sierra. It wouldn't even take high Sierra, right. which is the next one along. Um, but it works perfectly you know, yeah. for what she wants. Um, so Macs don't generally tend to fail. If they do, there's issue, it's more likely to be issues like graphics card failures, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and that's just down to the machines working yeah. really hard and maybe, you know, the dust, the ingress of the dust and kind of, I've seen one before where someone had a MacBook Pro that they'd use in bed when they were editing in the night and they just drop it onto the uh, drop it onto the quilt and yeah. keeps it nice and toasty warm, but there's no air getting to the Mac and they just overheat yeah. and eventually it kills the processor. Yeah, done that. But there's <laughs> underlying yeah, <laughs> an underlying reason for a Mac to not work, um, you know, rather than rather than a PC. But you know, you said that you were installing Windows on a ten year old uh, PC. The fact that you can still do that, you yeah. know, that's great. 
Yeah, it took it took a little bit of doing, um, and you know, I, <laughs> excuse me. And I did spend a lot of time um, on FaceTime uh, to my cousin, who was guiding me through the process. Um, it was a, you know, it's an old laptop um, that, in fact, my mom didn't use anymore because she switched to iPads and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and my wife needed basically a glorified typewriter, you know, yeah, to do yeah. to basically do some studying and some work on. So really, all that need, it needs to do is connect to the internet and and produce word product. Uh, what documents you know and that's it so it wasn't yeah, like very, you know no high you know, demand but i think um the thing you mentioned before about kind of moving operating systems is as well and there's a very um, i think windows so microsoft and apple have two very different considerations really when it comes to the kind of operating systems uh microsoft went through a period where every kind of four years or so they changed the operating system. You you know, you were looking at Windows 95, 98, ME. Remember that? Oh, I remember that. Windows, yeah. yeah, NT as well, yeah. you know. And you had Windows 2000, you know. Uh, Windows Vista. XP, I remember. I had for a long time. Windows Vista, you know, Windows 7. Um, you know, and then Windows 10 has stayed around for the longest amount of time, really. With yeah. only... Of the Windows 11, interestingly, uh, I've tried it out and I've run it as a uh, on my Mac as a virtual machine to to run certain things that I could only run on Windows, perhaps. And um, it's interesting that it looks more like the Apple uh, infrastructure, the Apple desktop, than any Windows machine I've ever seen before. Right. Uh, and it's going to leave. I think it's going to leave people a little confused. Um, I've used Windows machines all my life, but the start menu, there's no, the start menu is kind of on the center of the taskbar. And, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of, it's still a little bit sort of messy in my opinion. I think I, I checked out of Windows when I came up with the tiles. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, okay, that's too much for my brain. I can't handle that. When you look at Apple as a consideration, they make small incremental changes. So if you look at the operating systems like Sierra, High Sierra, Mojave, you know, um, Monterey, El Capitan, all of the different operating systems they do, there's been small changes. Big Sur, you know, yeah. they changed a lot of the icons. But so much of what changes is done in the background as well. You know, it's not just what you see. Uh, people think it was just... Only a few little changes here, but incrementally, when you jump across one or two versions over the span of a, a couple of years, there's quite a lot of changes, really. Um, that being said, when it comes to technology, I always advise people to stay at least at least one version behind. Right. And um, I've got a bit of a horror story actually to tell right. you uh, that that concerns me. Over the last couple of days, so I thought Ventura had come out. I'd resisted downloading it because I'm running Monterey, uh, and I'd only really upgraded to Monterey, which is the previous version uh, from Big Sur. Uh, in the last sort of six months, really, when I'd sort of tested it, I use a piece of software called Parallels Desktop, which is a program that allows you to run what's called a virtual machine. Right. So you run the program, you load wi uh, Windows or Mac into it, and it allows you to run that as if it was running on the hard drive, internal hard drive. 
so you can see what it looks like and it would look like you were running it on the computer but once you've finished with it and you don't want to use it anymore you can just dump the the image that it makes right. into the trash and it doesn't stay installed on your computer so you boot up parallels desktop and i used it to try out windows 11 the beauty of parallels desktop and i'm not sponsored by them or anything but the, but i've been using it forever uh, is that you can change the configuration so if you think oh i wonder how this would run if i gave it eight gig of ram instead of four gig of oh, RAM, right, okay. you can change that in the back end and then run it again so you can alter how much ram your computer gives these virtual machines to be able to run which is the beauty because it allows me people to sort of say to me oh I'm running this with 8 gig of RAM and I can't seem to get it running. So I'll try it with 16 gig uh, of RAM. And, oh, okay, look, you need to run 16 gig of RAM. It works incredibly better with this. So it allows me to do that. And I um, I thought, oh, I'll download Ventura, give it a try, test it out, see what it's like, give people my initial considerations, see what they think, and then advise them, you know, when maybe it's safe to to start using right. it you know normally within 12 months i'd say give it at least 12 months stay one version behind so i um uh went to download it and like almost every other apple operating system it'll download and it'll ask you would you like to install this not ventura so i literally set it downloading closed the lid of my laptop because we've got power nap running which will allow it to download in the background uh -huh. disappeared off to go on to, to a shoot take some photographs came back and it had already installed oh. already installed for me which i thought was uh a bit annoying because it it didn't give me the choice it was just already installed oh. on there so i was like right okay i know where i've got a time machine backup because that backed up last night i haven't done anything since i can restore to that no problem at all. I should have seen that coming, right. really, but but ultimately, my mistake. Uh, so I thought I'll test out a few programs. I use Light Blue, for instance, to handle all my shoots and all my, um, uh, or, you know, all my bookings and right. things like that. And that that was causing major problems with Light Blue. Wacom tablets couldn't be found straight away. That wouldn't work for some reason because I got an older. Wacom tablet, um, and there was a few other things that it had changed, like the control panel. The control panel we know that's been there forever. That's completely changed uh -huh. now. Didn't that may, might be something I'd get used to, but really kind of threw me. Didn't like that. Um, a lot of things have changed. It's not called. It's not called system preferences anymore. It's called system settings. What was wrong with preferences? It's if, <laughs> you know, it's fine. Apple, if you're watching, very yeah. broke, don't fix it. There's <laughs> a reason why the there's a reason why the MagSafe made a reintroduction. Sure. You know, just because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Make it good, make it fast, make it work. That's all yeah. we need. That's all we need. Uh, it's our job as creatives to kind of uh, make things look amazing. You know, all we need are the tools to do it. Really. So yeah, so Ventura then, I thought, right, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to uh, restore this from a time machine backup, 
which would, on an M1 Mac, would literally be shut it down, hold down the power button for more than four seconds, and it'll come up with a menu saying that it's launching into startup options. When startup options comes up, it's a bit like Command and R or R that you would hold oh. down when you boot in an Intel Mac. Takes you into these settings, one of which is disk utility, one of which is restore from time machine, uh, reinstall Mac OS, which at the time would be Ventura, because it allow you to reinstall them operating system that's already installed on there. And there's another option. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But so you've got your four options in there. Trying to restore from Time Machine when Ventura is installed won't let you go back to uh, Monterey. The actual process is you have to wipe the yeah. drive completely. So you go into Disk Utility, click on the main drive, wipe it completely, which always get even or after all these years gets me a little nervous. Uh, but knowing that I've got ta good time machine backups that I regular check uh, meant that I was fine with that. Wipe it. When you reboot uh, after wiping it, you hold the power button down again, it comes back in. It then asks you to, because it has no operating system on it at that point. So it allows you to reinstall uh, Monterey, uh, reboot, install Monterey as a completely new operating system, then reboot again, and then use something called Migration Assistant, which takes all the applications, users, settings, everything the time machine has backed up for your old operating system, and then pulls them in uh, to onto your, your new clean Monterey system and allows you to boot. And in fairness, it worked like a dream. Wasn't what I'd normally expect, the process, but it worked great. And in total, yeah. it took about eight hours. So yeah, so it oh, was wow. a, it's not, okay. a, not a quick process. But be aware, yeah. if you do decide to uh, download um, Ventura, there's a button that says automatically uh, update my operating system and tick that. Yeah. That's the best bet. Right. Um, I mean, it looked nice. It looked lovely. You know, there were some changes in there that I thought were unnecessary. Uh, definitely some things I wouldn't use in there. Um, yeah. Like this advanced share play features and messages, updates, and a few other things that just were not really of any use to me. But again, yeah. we're talking about See. Apple being incremental updates you know this year is just oh fix this do this do that i'd love to them to yeah. see them do more with mail um you know introduce kind of read receipts and uh you know kind of um send receipts into mail you know outlook has had those for years yeah. well, um, unsend and yes yeah, yeah, unsend will work now with Ventura on messages for up to right. ten minutes, so yes. which is which is quite good. But um, I always think in yeah. WhatsApp when someone unsends something to me, I'm thinking, "Ooh, was that meant for me? Did they were they criticizing <laughs> something? Or I yeah. accidentally mentioned have I done something wrong? And then they thought better yeah. of it, 
So it can sometimes create more questions yeah. than answers, really. And you mentioned a time machine, and of course, the time machine is a, is a great way to um, to sort of yes. back up, you know, your Mac. Um, but for photographers, what's what's extremely important is backing up their your images, their data in general. Like, I mean, I think everyone I know, you know, runs a gazillion different hard drives, you know, for different things, whether that's like video or you know, or photos and stuff. Um, what, what are your recommendations when it comes to, um, you know, simply backing up? It's an important subject. People, and there's a misconception that if you've got something on the, on another drive, that it's backed up, uh, which is a very bad misconception to have, really. Um, there's a rule when you do backups that uh, that you have a magic triangle of backups. So let me explain, really. A magic triangle has got three points, okay? By the same token, you have three different backups in different locations using a different form of media. Each one has different characteristics than the other, and each one supports the other. I'll give you an example. So the first part of the magic triangle is you have to have an off-site backup. Wherever you're editing, whether it's in a studio or in your office or even at home, um, you have there's the potential there for the studio to burn down, somebody to break in and steal what you've got there. Um, you know, your internet connection stops working or what have you. The on-site backup, so that one might be a, a, a network attached storage device. I've got a literally, I don't know whether you can see it down but there, but uh, my network attached storage device is just there. And that's a Synology okay. uh, DS1821+. plus. That's my my RAID NAS. That's my on-site backup. That sits here. Uh, everything that, that I finish, the work that I finish, gets put on there. That is considered backed up there. Okay? That's my on-site. Off-site, again, that's the second part. So one on-site, one off-site. And the third part is cloud. That's something that's not in any particular place, but it's looked after by somebody else someone like backblaze uh or um uh you, you know um the crash plan carbonite uh there's lots of uh, synology to do their own c2 backup as well that would be uh that would be your kind of cloud-based backup now i'm very lucky that the uh synology has the ability to install different programs on it called packages they call them they call them packages and um that one of those packages is a cloud sync package which allows you to link to lots of different cloud based providers and then the okay. process is you select which folder wants to be backed up and then you select when you wanted to back up as in what time of day or night and then you let it right. run and then overnight it'll back up those files onto the cloud from whatever you change. It does one big backup and then incrementally small backups, just the things that change. So that's your kind of um, cloud-based backup. Now, off-site can be a number of things. So we've talked about on-site backup being something that you back up here. It could be a single hard drive or it could be 
lots of hard drives, like a RAID array, you know. Uh, offsite backup is going to be something that's physically taken away, whether that's a drive that is backing up uh, from your office and is taken physically somewhere else, or whether right. it's uh, something, you know, uh, like Backblaze, um, that that's that you know that that's what you have to consider. Um, the reason that that is different and how that differs to cloud-based backup is cloud-based backup is reliant on your internet. Okay, if you've got bad internet, trying to download the whole album's worth of files, it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. That's where that falls down. That's why you're on site, which is quicker because the files are physically there, supports that, you know. The um, off-site uh, is physically if something happens to one of those drives, you've got right. slow internet, you can physically drive somewhere and pick those files up. Or in my case, I use a company called Zenfolio. Now, whilst it is similar to a cloud-based backup, it allows me to go to an internet cafe or anywhere that has a better internet connection and just download those files. And I deliver my JPEGs uh, for my customer. Completed JPEGs go to Zenfolio. So they look after my website, right. but they also look after all my images as well. And that's why having those three backup points, the magic triangle, as it were, allow right. for a more secure backup. Now, Time Machine is something different uh, and I'll explain where Time Machine fits in now. Uh, right. Windows users have lots of different companies they can use uh, instead of, you know, um, they've got, you know, loads of different backup programs that they can use to back up. And, and there's no uh, real, um, the inbuilt option that was in Windows 10 was migrated from Windows 7 and it's not great. You're still going to have all the original disks if you, uh, um, if you know, if you have to reinstall your operating system. Uh, okay. So, whereas Time Machine, really speaking, it backs it up like a snapshot. So you don't need any of the like original installed disks. Or I mean, nobody uses those anymore. Everything's done online. Okay. But the point being is that when you kind of launch Time Machine and get it to restore. It can restore to the exact moment that okay. your backup was in place. My time machine is plugged in to my drive, and I've actually got there you go. So that's my time machine. I've got a little lacy rugged drive, so they they're quite okay. handy. That one's a two terabyte, and that uh, wasn't backing up at the moment. No, that's good. That literally backs up this computer. It doesn't back up any of my photographs whatsoever. Because my photographs are not stored on the computer, if something was to happen to the computer, I wouldn't lose my photographs. Okay. The lazy time the lazy drive and the time machine program is there just to restore the operating system. Yeah. Nothing yeah. else. Uh because <clears throat> Uh, when you talk about backup, so much of that goes hand in hand with workflow. And by that, I'm talking about the way that we shoot as photographers. 
as a wedding photographer, for example, um, you know, you will have two cards in your camera, maybe, you know, uh, camera card failure is very rare these days, but it does happen. So having a camera yeah. that's got the two cards in there where you're copying to both, you know, you're, you're, you're mitigating the risk somehow, you know, is a little bit of redundancy there if something goes wrong. And that's what we're all about, really, <clears throat> you know, with backup and disaster recovery. So when you've taken photographs as a, uh, a photographer, <clears throat> when I, I, what happens with us is that when we stop for the, um, uh, for the, for dinner, you know, and, and the bride and groom are having the wedding breakfast, I will use that time to take my second shooter's photographs and I'll put it into uh, like a lacy boss drive or uh, another backup drive. And that will back up the photographs that we've taken so far onto a hard drive. So I know at that point right. I've got copies on the SD and CF cards, but I've also got copies on my rugged boss, lacy boss drive right. as well. So yeah, so that, that that's backed up there. That way, if my cameras ever get damaged, stolen, or something happens, at least I've got everything. I'm, I'm doing as much as I can to try and mitigate the risk there and then. At the end of the night, my my second shooter will give me their cards, we'll put them in, back them up to the boss, and they can walk away with them then. I haven't got to take anything away or give people my yeah. cards to use or anything like that. And, and that's backed up. So when I get home and I've finally put all my equipment away, put the batteries on charge, and I've sat down, then I will take the... I don't even have to take the cards out of the cameras, right? I can literally plug the Lacey Boss straight into the computer and uh, I can either, because the Lacey Boss that I have is an SSD, I can either edit directly off that uh, or what's more likely to happen is I've got a... Now that, oh, there you go. I've got a... This, so this is in the C, um, Rugged Pro SSD. It's about the size of a credit card and it's an SSD. But rather than being huh. like the orange drives, which are very fast, but are the older style SATA hard drives, these SSDs are designed to work incredibly quickly. Incredibly quickly. Um, they'll actually read and write at speeds almost as fast as your internal SS blade SSDs that the right. new Macs will use, which means that I can load everything from a wedding onto that drive. So by now, at this point, remember now, I've got the uh, photographs on the cards, which I haven't wiped yet, uh, the, my photographs on the cards. I've got photographs of my second shooter and myself on the Lacey Boss, and I'm ingesting those uh, by using copy function in, in uh -huh. Lightroom, and it copies them onto this drive. I'll edit on this drive, and my SD cards and my Lacey Boss don't get wiped until I finish the edit. <laughs> if I um got another shoot the next day, I'll have a spare set of SD cards. So I'll put the one set of cards that are full to one side. I'll use a spare set of SD cards and shoot on those. And again, they get backed up on the Lacey Boss. So 
that's the process about kind of ingesting. Once the photographs are edited and they're all complete, I'll save the metadata to the files. So in Lightroom, under catalog settings, under file handling, you've got a option to uh, write XMP, ch write changes to XMP. And what that does is creates a little file that sits alongside the original raw uh, with all Lightroom's changes in it. So if you would take all your photographs and you wanted someone else to see them, but have the uh, the rows as well, you can give them the XMP, which has got the same file name, but with the extension XMP. Yeah. And they'll be able to see all the changes that you made when they import that. So when I um, when I finished editing those pictures, the raw file plus the XMP gets saved onto my NAS over there. Overnight, that backs up from 11 o'clock in the night through to 7 in the morning. It'll back up any changes to Backblaze, which is my offsite. So right, right at that point, then, I can clear down the cards. I can free up the space on the Lacey Boss. Generally, I'll have three or four weddings on, or three or four shoots on the mm -hmm. Lacey Boss there. Um and I'll just clear them down when I need more space on there. So having the the mindset, the workflow mindset, where you're at every single point, you're making a decision to move, copy, back back up those files elsewhere, you should have at least one backup somewhere else. Well, okay. so you never know what's going to happen, right? And I've had things go wrong, card failure. I've had things go right. wrong. I've had like cameras stolen at at a, a wedding, um, you know, and it's very distressing. Cameras can uh, be replaced. Photographs yeah. are forever, you know. I think I think if you do this job long enough, um, uh, pretty much everyone I know has some story or another. You know, when it comes to like losing photographs, losing data, you know, I've I've wiped um, SD cards with with video footage, you know, accidentally before. Before I actually, I thought I had backed it up, but I, then I didn't. You know, uh, I had uh, SD card failure in a camera before. Uh, these things do happen. I had uh, hard drive failures, you know, external hard drive failures as well. So, yeah. and and you know, when you look at technology, all technology is ultimately fallible um, yeah. because it's designed by humans, right? You know, yeah. we make things as as good as they can be, but ultimately. Nothing is designed to work forever. So um, as, technolo as technology gets better, failure rates drop. But ultimately, uh, the only way to never lose anything is to ensure that you've got appropriate backups. And, and you know, that your workflow has to work. Um, your workflow has to work, um, you know, for you as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, as, as the more you can automate these processes... You know the the safer they get in a sense because then it's not down to you know me forgetting to do something you know because that's often i think the human failure rate is is relatively high in these circumstances yeah absolutely when you look at these things and technology in general and you know whether it's kind of like i'm just looking here now what i've got on my desk so there's a wacom tablet you know yeah. we've got um 
I've got a the loop deck. Have you seen these? These loop. Oh yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I love those. They're really good. Um, ultimately, I'll know whether or not something I'm going to continue using something because it'll fit within my workflow. If not, they either get sold, given away, uh, kind of sent back. You know, yeah. uh, um, and they just they just technology has to fit within my workflow, really. You know. And right. um, uh, and I've got it down to a fine art now. I've got it down to a fine art, but but it is so much like um, you know, uh, it is very much like kind of um, you know, don't buy technology for the sake of buying technology. Right. Buy something that you think you're definitely going to use. You know. So when it comes to backup, really speaking, what I'd suggest is buy the best systems that you can afford. At the time you're going to buy, um, the technical side of things you could kind of leave to us, and we'll decide, you know, what's the best to help you with, you know, according to your needs. But ultimately, when you've got uh, using single drives, um, it, it can be disaster because when mm. one drive dies, that's it. You've kind of uh, you've You'd limited yourself. That's your what they call in the business. That's the single point of failure, yeah. um, and having that as a single point of failure, you know, it's just people will spend, you know, two hundred two hundred quid on a drive that they'll use for twelve months, and then replace yeah. it after twelve months, and um, you end up with a drawer full of drives. And for me, that's as difficult to find a picture. Like I can't remember which drive, a photograph I took of. Brendan and David, the yeah. wedding in 2015 is. Or, or you end up buying bigger drives, you know, so you go from like a one terabyte drive to two, to, and then you upgrade what? to a four terabyte drive. And so you end up with a whole ton of drives, you know, yeah. in the uh, in the drawer. And uh, yeah, so Absolutely. it's going to increase for you. I did some work for a company in uh, London. Uh, and uh, and um, the guy was talking to me about hard drives. Oh, I need a better solution than just using single hard drives. I said, how mm. many are you up to at the moment? He said, 47. And he opened well. a drawer. And there was literally a drawer full stacked up of drives. I'm like up to six now of old drives, but they're mostly mm. drives from the RAID array. So as mm. I want to expand the array, I take smaller drives out and mm. replace them with bigger drives, you know? Uh, but yeah, I mean, having a, a ray, a ray bit based disc, um, does spreads the data across all the discs rather yeah. than having just one disc failure. Yeah. So when... let's, let's, let's dive into, let's dive into that for a second, because, um, I think that's, that's probably sort of the ultimate, uh, backup <laughs> on-site backup, um, sort of advice is, is really to, uh, look closely at, at NAS systems or yeah. RAID arrays. So NAS systems are network attached storage, but that's basically a system that is designed to plug into your router uh, in your network and whenever your broadband's coming in, rather than plugging into the back of the computer. Now, they're used primarily as storage devices rather than drives you would normally edit from because they're not quick enough. <clears throat> Some of the better systems will have more than one network port on the back 
and will allow you to spread the pull and push of data across the cables. I'll give you an example of what I mean now. Um, that Synology device has got four network cables in the back. So rather than just plugging one cable into my router, I've actually got four plugged in, okay? So when I'm requesting a file from there to edit, rather than pulling all the file via one cable, which has a limit of a thousand megasecond transfer rate, it's actually pulling a quarter of the file from each of the cables, which means that the pull of the file comes infinitely quicker. The actual specifications mean that instead of a thousand megasecond transfer rate, I'm getting 4,000 megasecond right. transfer rate. It's due to a clever system uh, called um, link aggregation and failover. So if one of those cables fails, I can still use the other three. The link will drop in speed from 4,000 to 3,000, but ultimately it will mean that the link still works and it allows me to transfer data and it spreads the data pull across the four cables, um, which means that I can actually edit for directly from that uh, without any loss of speed at all whatsoever. Uh, and it's great. You know, um, I don't necessarily need a drive plugged in um, into yeah. there, but it's just easier for me to have that drive plugged in there because if I decide to take that, and edit downstairs with my MacBook Pro. I can um, I can literally go and unplug yeah. that and sit on the sofa and and edit directly from from the small little uh, black drive that I was showing you earlier. But the beauty of NAS drives is most will have at least two ports on the back. Um, the type of companies you want to go for are um, Synology. I've been making drive systems for years. A QNAP. Are very good as well. Uh, QNAP make great drives. I had Buffalo drives before this. They made the Terra Station range. They were very good as well. Western Digital make them. Um, you know, so there's lots of different companies that will make these. Seagate, uh, who only see make their own systems as well with the the big two or the big four systems. So there's lots of companies out there. Each has got different advantages and disadvantages, and you know. That's really kind of uh, where we can sort of point you in the direction of one or the other. But so the easiest way to describe how a NAS system works is imagine you take your favorite photograph and you cut it into four. And you on the back of the photograph, you label the first piece A, the second piece B, the third C, and the fourth one D. Now, if I had four drives in my, my RAID box, okay, on the first drive, if I stored that picture on the drive, the RAID software would make it, would make it, would actually split it up, but make it look like it was one, I don't ever see it as one, one file. Yeah. But actually the file is stored on drive one, parts A and B, drive two, B and C, drive uh, three, C and D, and drive four D and A. So this is in a RAID, what you call a RAID 5 configuration. Okay, so RAID 5 is just a configuration of how those drives set up to work together. There's other different versions of RAID, but that's amongst the most common. 
if any of those drives physically broke and I had to throw them away, even though the array, the box, becomes read-only until I replace the drive, I can still see the file because I've got A, B, C, and D on the three remaining drives. <laughs> so I can still get my file back. It's just the redundancy isn't there. It won't allow you to write new stuff to the uh, disk array because you're not writing to all the drives. Mm-hmm. You'd only be writing to three out of the four drives. And you'd be missing an actual section of that the, mm. of that file. When you put the new disk back in, the systems will either automatically with some or with others, they just need a click of a button mm. on it. It will use the three remaining disks to rebuild the content of what's missing back onto the new drive And once that's all working, you can then start writing to the drive again. Now, RAID 5 allows you to lose one drive before uh, the system would crash. RAID 6 is very similar. It allows you to lose two drives. The disadvantage of other RAID configurations is that you lose the amount of space that you have available. So it all comes down to how much space you have available because it has to store bits of drives and it becomes a little bit more complicated. But people would use RAID 6 for databases and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, and it's not quite as fast as RAID 5. Um, and they'd use RAID 5 literally just as a standalone system. But it gives you some form of redundancy so that, that your data is uh, being backed up. And the chances of uh, all hard drives failing at the same time is very rare. Mm. Now, I've only ever heard of it once, and that was when um, a client of mine, not a photographer in a business, had bought um, uh, four drives from the same batch, and they'd had a power outage, and it had kind of failed. All four drives had failed on a really old array system. Uh, and you know, ultimately, they were saved by having on-site backup. Yeah. But but um, but you know, you, you can see yourself having those kind of options. Really, um, within a NAS system, is going to be your ultimate backup. And of course, and, it's going to be relatively straightforward to upgrade uh, the disk as well. If you're running out of space at some point, uh, you just yes. yeah. And 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 I mean, you know, I'm not sponsored by Synology or anything. I should be, but I'm not. Um, one of the reasons why I chose their system over some of the others is that they have got an option called SHR, which is Synology Hybrid RAID, which allows you to um, put drives of different sizes in there. With a RAID 5 normally, you would only ever be able to put drives of the same size in there. And if a drive broke, you'd have to replace it with a drive of the same size or larger. But it wouldn't actually give you any more space on on the the, the box, on the array, right. if you put bigger drives on it. Synology Hybrid RAID allows you, as long as you've got two or more drives that have got a higher size on there, it'll expand into those extra drive spaces and it'll allow you to, to have a a drive system that that you expand every couple of years. So if you buy them with one terabyte drives, in year two you might decide to change those drives one by one because they've got to rebuild, obviously, 
um, with two terabytes. So instead of having three terabytes of usable space, you've now got six terabytes of usable space. You know, and then in year three, you might want to choose to have more space and so on and so on. So yeah, having the opportunity to be able to do that is imperative because you systems uh, technology, you know, is designed, you know, is designed to last. The last disk station I had was 2015 and I ended up giving it away to yeah. a friend of mine uh, who was just starting out, you know, so, so, um, but it was still working then and now, and I replaced that for that, this new one last year. Uh, so they, they do last, uh, you know, and, and more often than not, you'll run out of space before the devices break, you know, uh, so um, especially as file sizes are getting larger and larger, you know, uh, camera file sizes are exponentially increasing to the point where we need bigger memory cards, right? Yeah. When I first started taking pictures, I had a four gig memory card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I remember them well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I found a 16 gig card the other day and I was yeah. like, oh, gosh, how many pictures could I take on that? You know? Yeah, well, absolutely. That's it. 50 pictures, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, that's, that is the thing, you know, as, as we're moving up in megapixels, you know, files get larger. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it's the same in terms of video, you know, as we move from shooting in 1080 to uh, 4K, for example, everything everything becomes yeah, bigger. Yeah, absolutely. And you immediately need more backup space, you know, it's, it's inevitable. Yes, but you also need to design systems yeah. that take into consideration the ability to be able to expand and, um, you know, uh, migrate into uh, having more space. And, you know, if I decided to, if I actually physically ran out of space and I put, I think those take 128 terabytes. If I fill them with the biggest drive size that I can get, yeah. it's about 18 terabytes, which is about 18 terabytes, I think. Yeah. Um, I think I can fit something like 128 terabytes it just in that one little box. Yeah. If that wasn't enough, I can then, there's a, they've got a, a cable at the back, an eSATA cable, which allows me to connect a second one right. to that, and that becomes part of the array. It's just, you know, the potential is just incredible. Um, but again, like I said, it, you know, it, it is a case of... Um, when do you get to the point where you change your systems? Yeah. And they're designing new systems day to day as well. Yeah. The next model of that might come out might take 250 terabytes yeah. or 400 terabytes. It's about making things last as long as possible uh, so that, that they can work for you really rather than against you. And, and as I look around with all this kind of technology around me, you know, I am very much like if something's not fit for purpose, if it's not doing his job, is to get rid of it. Cause, but you can spend so much time trying to make things work that don't work, mm. that you're kind of losing the point about technology empowering us to be able to create. And ultimately that's what we are, right? Is creators, you know? We're the guys that people come to for us to make something great, you mm. know? Um, and whilst, you need technology to be able to do that. You can lose, you can lose hours uh, what, trying yeah, to make old stuff work. Exactly, and I think you know for a lot of creators, and I sort of count myself amongst those. Really, you know, t to me, I'm 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 like the the ultimate end user. 
you know, I, I live in Photoshop and in Lightroom, you know, um, and I, you know, because those are the tools that I use to create, you know, the, yes. the photographs that I create. But when it comes to anything under the hood, I'm really yeah. not, you know, that that clever yeah. when it comes to that because because it doesn't necessarily concern me. I don't really, I'm not necessarily personally necessarily that interested in in what's happening under the hood because I I see myself as sort of the you know the user of the tool, and you know like a carpenter who uses hammers all day, you can be the best carpenter but not necessarily know how a hammer is made. Yes, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because, uh, oh, why do you need to? Right? Yeah, why would you need to? Exactly. But you could be, you know, you could be. Oh, I saw this thing yeah. the other day, which is incredible, actually. Uh, uh, and it was a, uh, it, it was a Canadian um, wood chopping competition. <laughs> and what they do is they've got these guys, you know, uh, who are like master uh, wood choppers, I guess, you know, um, and uh, and they they do this thing where they basically. They have these tree trunks, and then they they knock out like little steps, and then they as they step up further, you know, they basically end up sort of halfway up the tree, and then they knock off the top of the tree whilst they're like yeah. build, you know, they're sort of using their axe to create their own ladder almost <laughs> up to the tree, and it's incredible because see the skill required to do that like, in record time because they're doing this against the clock as well, you know, that's the thing. So they're literally oh, racing yeah. up these these tree trunks. It's absolutely phenomenal, and you think like. These guys really know how to use an axe. Yes. But they don't necessarily probably know how to make an axe. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's right. I think that's the thing, isn't it? As photographers, it's it's almost like if you're a uh, wedding photographer, you don't necessarily know how to take baby photographs. Exactly. You know, yeah. uh, you know let's be masters of what we do yeah. rather than kind of so pretty good at everything yeah. you know that's it the world needs more where was it uh, I think was it someone in government I'm not going to mention any names but was it someone in government said uh, not so long back I forget the name of who it was said that um, that we need less experts you know yeah. and more people who can just do a job and I just think that can't be right surely you need more experts you need people who are know their craft to the nth degree, and I'm not saying that's necessarily me. I've got a very good, broad knowledge of computers. I haven't been brought up with it, but there's still a lot that I don't know. I'm no good at programming, uh, you know, at all. You can never ask me to write any computer programs and yeah. stuff. But um, the point being is, uh, for me, I understand how it all kind of works together. Yeah how things fit together so uh, for photographers and the niche that I've decided to support it works really well because you know I know a lot about mm. that if I was to start looking at different other areas you know uh, then maybe less so you know I've been in those rooms uh, you know with guys that are so technical they have no social skills, but can work out <laughs> incredible calculations uh, in milliseconds within their heads. I've been in those rooms and I've no desire to kind of push myself to uh, that limit. For me, the ability is to be able to take something complex and be able to break it down so that people who don't necessarily need to know all of that yeah. 
can understand how it works for them. Because you haven't got to understand, like you said, you know, you haven't got to know how a car works to know that you've got to put fuel in it and it's going to take you somewhere. You know, that's the way I see technology is, you know, you haven't got to know how it works, but you have got to know what it can do for you, you know, and, 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 um, uh, you know, and, and kind of getting lost within tech can happen with that, you know. People yeah. buy things for the sake of saying they've got stuff rather than actually learning every single minute detail uh, of how something works. It's an interesting you know? thing with photography, um, especially in a, you know, I, I'd say photography is kind of um, almost like unique in that respect uh, if you compare it to other art forms, for example. But photography really is because it's this blend between technology and creativity it sort of attracts people from both extremes to it you know you have those those uh, photographers who are super tech minded and wow. and then on on the other end of the scale you've got photographers who are super creative but don't necessarily know the the first thing about how things work they just you know they just have a vision and they realize a vision and then in the middle you've got mm. those those people who are kind of a 50-50 split between you know, being creative, but also technology-minded, where it kind of all blends together. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, I always find this when I speak to, um, you know, to a whole range of different photographers. You've got those those guys who come from the film days, you know, who may, may uh, you know, who don't really necessarily want to have anything to do with computers in post-production. And although they, you know, have moved on to shooting digitally, they're still sort of living in a world where everything needs to come out straight out of camera and needs to be right in camera and all that kind of stuff which is you know which yeah. is fine there's one way of doing it um absolutely and then you've got people like myself <laughs> to a degree you know um <laughs> who shoot for the edit you know i very often especially when i when i shoot composites i know what the edit is going to be like and how i'm going to composite it and so i need to get yes. the raw materials for that and i always say this you know uh, i i also need to get it right i just need to get it right for the edit it's a you know, yes. it's a different, it's a slightly different thing, but still the similarity is the, the, the shooting yeah. process or the shooting process, you know, it's only one Lego brick in the whole thing. It's like being a great chef, yeah. right? I was like being a great chef uh, and assembling all the different parts to make something yeah, better. Exactly. Oh, that's, that's essentially what it's yeah. about, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, and um, it was interesting when we, when we spoke before, about the photography show and the resurgence of uh, of kind of film, really. Yeah. I know you mentioned, you said there seems to be a massive resurgence yeah. of film. Uh, you know, and it's great because as far as I'm concerned, that's teaching people to kind of stop, pause, yeah. breathe and think, you know, before, uh, not just when we're in photography, but before we do anything. Yeah. Before we go out and buy new hardware or computers or this or that, the other, stop, pause, breathe and think, you know, kind of take that moment really. And, uh, you know, apart from necessarily wedding photography, where you've got to be aware of everything that's going on mm. around you at all times, having that moment where you kind of, you can see the photograph in your head before you before you're shooting it. I think that's a key tool. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been photographing professionally now since 20, 
15, uh, sort of getting paid for doing it. And before that, it was always a passion. Uh, and I've been doing it since I was at, since I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. Um, and, uh, but kind of having that moment where I very rarely get to shoot for myself, really, it's mostly for clients. But I did have some time recently um, uh, where um, my partner and I went to uh, France and we took my kids and uh, we went for a walk around one of the big towns and um, having that moment where I could literally be like, oh, this is yeah. great, you know, I get to shoot for me and look at different angles and, you know, kind of see right. a photograph with my eyes before I, you know, see it through a camera. Because all the camera is, is just yeah, the tool, absolutely. right? You know, ultimately that's just, you know, that's the step of the, problem, yeah. the, the, the process, really. That's you know? why I, I love my little uh, Instax camera. Uh, mm. Because it's yeah, <laughs> it's just, just it's such a great thing, you know. It's just because uh, there's zero post production involved. You're literally just capturing the moment, yeah. and also it's just it has yeah. a great feel, you know. And and you have the image there uh, in a in a in hard copy form, you know, right there. And yes. it's a physical image um, that you can give. And I tell you what, um, that I use the camera a lot with my kids, for example. You know, when I'm when I'm out and about, mm. and we're doing stuff, you know. Um, we'll take some goofy photos, but it's a, it's a lovely thing. For instance, you know, when, when my mom comes to visit from Germany, for example, you know, and I, 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 you know, uh, bring her back to the airport, you know, and we just take a quick selfie together and then she can take that home as a bit of a memory type of a thing. And it's worked really yeah. well. Um, when I work with clients, for example, um, especially, yes. especially when I, um, when I do things like. Um, you know, when I work with like a, a an AV team, like an audio video team, for example, I'll, you know, what I what yeah. I do is I I hand them sort of like a selfie Instax photo with my number on the yeah. back. So rather than handing handing out uh, a business card, I just you know I use the Instax photo. That's yeah. it. Cool. cool. On my wall up here, I've got. I don't know whether you can see that. Oh, I can yeah, see it. Yeah. Those are all in stacks photos. So anytime, oh, anytime anybody came to have their headshots done, it was like, right, we finished the headshots. Now we're just going to do a little photograph, and it gets stuck to the wall. And I've got, I got loads of, uh, loads of kind of famous people up there, things that yeah. photographed. Uh, we've got yeah. Ross Greve is up there as well. Awesome. Glenn Dewis is up there as well. And okay. uh, well, so you've got well, there's loads up there. So yeah, yeah, so every time somebody would come to the house, have their pictures taken or their computer right. repaired or something like that, you know, and we just take we take a take a little selfie, and it's great. Yeah. And that that um, that kind of moment where you have to think on your feet, um, yeah. is great. You know, I love that. So yeah, and that's also I mean you know because there is something um, obviously to photography that's that's inevitably kind of physical, you know, as mm -hmm. prints, for example. Um, so, and I think, you know, that's, that's why people love prints so much still, although we are living in a, we, we've been talking a lot of computers and technology and whatever, uh, but still, you know, in the world of photography, there's still space for all of that physicality oh, as well. It's not finished. A, a picture's not yeah. finished until it's printed, you know, yeah. otherwise you're just looking at backlit screens, you know, and 
doesn't feel that tangible right. feel, you know, to a picture right. that the emotion, the kind of soulful kind of, uh, right. you know, pull that you get from a photograph, especially you imagine, you know, you got stuff printed on textured paper and, right. you know, you, the smell of the print and I know I'm getting all sentimental here now, but that, that's what it's about for me, you know. Uh, that's what it's about for me. More than yeah. just kind of printing stuff and sending them to a gallery that people are going to look at. It's about having something yeah. memorable on your wall, you know, or just printed, or just something you can hand on to your children and your children's children. My, exactly. Um, so my, uh, I was talking to my dad the other day. He's 83 now. Uh, my mother's age varies kind of somewhere around mid, late 60s, mid 70s, according to how she's right. feeling in the mornings. <laughs> <laughs> no, excuse me. And um, I'm saying that, uh, you know, there's a tendency these days, lots of people just want to have their pictures taken and they don't want to print anything. And I said, how right. oh, disappointing I, I thought that was, you know. And he said, I've got, I've got, I've got our wedding album here. Uh, your mother and I got married, you know, 49 years ago. And uh, so we, we were sat there and, uh, you know, for 83, still with it, I have to say. And we were just looking at all these pictures stuck in with the little corners. You know, the yeah. sticky corners? Yeah. Absolutely. The corners there. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is your, this is your, your great aunt and people I'd never seen before, you know, or yeah. certainly couldn't remember, maybe. Um, this is, this was, oh, I used to own a butcher shop down the road and these, and there's, this is so much more than just looking at a picture of two people. It's a history right. of everybody who went, you know, to a wedding or to a get together, or it's just the stories, it fires right. and sparks up the stories and the imagination behind it you know and that's what it's about really you know i know mm. we you know i know we started off talking about technology but ultimately that's all we, all of this stuff is meant to do is give us the tools to be able to create something fantastic for people you know that they couldn't otherwise do themselves exactly. i was sitting there like you know with my dad looking through all these books like half an hour went like that you know yeah. Just um, just looking at pictures of people and I couldn't help find myself being quite sentimental about people yeah. that I didn't, I've never necessarily met, you know. Yeah. It was just incredible. Absolutely. And it's, you know, there's no better way to end the show than than on that thought. Um, so remember, if you are listening to this uh, this podcast and you are experiencing any problems with, you know, either with your computers or, you know, backing up your data, then make sure you get in touch uh, with Peter Morgan at Tech for Talks. Uh, obviously, all the links and everything are going to be in the description. Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I'm sure we're going to be seeing more um, of each other. Absolutely. Uh... Yes. Yeah, I'd like to see what you've done with that uh, Windows machine. See. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. Thank you so Excellent. much so... for having me on the show. Thanks for giving me a chance to, to kind of ramble on about all this tech stuff. But uh you know, uh, it's been an absolute joy to be able to talk to you today. Fantastic. And remember, again, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, remember that there is a fully fledged Technicolored version over on YouTube, if you are so inclined. And 
you know, in order to help us being found, um, just to, you know, if you would be so kind and leave us a little star rating or a little review if you're uh, listening on Apple Podcast, or of course, if you are already on YouTube and you've made it this far, then just take out a few seconds and uh, give us a like, you know, uh, follow the channel and leave us a little comment because we always love seeing those. Wonderful. Anyway, that being said, we've come to the end of Camera Tech Podcast episode 128 and we'll be back next Thursday as always. Bye.